Hello, and welcome to the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that it inspires you because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show. Also visit our website, madetolead.co, for more information about each episode. My guest today is Dr. Obi Jude Nzeko, an orthopedic surgeon from London, UK, who's currently completing a trauma and upper extremity fellowship at the University of Toronto. Dr. Jude graduated from the University of Manchester and also completed internships at Yale University in the US. His subspecialty interest is upper limb and trauma. Dr. Obi is also a creative and runs a medicine and lifestyle vlog on YouTube and Instagram, and he's got an online following of over 25,000. He's married and has got two young kids. Welcome to the show. Hi, Aziz. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. So um, I'm just going to get right into things. And, you know, the premise of the show is just we want to really get to know you, want to tell your story to, to the world. Um, and, you know, hopefully you can inspire some other people that are looking to become surgeons or to looking to become creatives, which is one of the things that you also do. Definitely. Um, so let, let's start this off. I want to understand, you know, how and why you ended up becoming a surgeon. What attracted you to this path? You know what? That, I think ultimately it was my personality and it's a strange thing because as a 15 year old if you had told me I was going to end up being an orthopedic surgeon I would have probably not believed you um I as you said was a creative I, I liked music production I liked art um, but I was also a scientist and at school I was very good at maths and f- physics and chemistry and I, I basically was a straight A student but at the same time I was a bit of a troublemaker and I was a bit of a wide boy, they would say, I was in the football team, the basketball team, the rugby team, the cricket team, anything other than actually studying was probably where you'd find me. But, um, you know, I was just stereotyped and underestimated when I was in school by teachers. And uh, I had, a, I almost had like an epiphany, like I had an awakening. I just decided that I didn't want to become a statistic. Uh, I grew up in um, East London where there's like a high population of um Africans, particularly kind of second generation Africans like myself. And our parents worked so hard and actually some of us felt neglected and a lot of the guys that I was surrounded by ended up, you know, falling in the company of bad people, shall we say, right? And I just made a decision. I didn't want to be part of that statistic. And fortunately I had my dad around to guide me and he worked extremely hard. Um, and so uh, I remember going in one day and telling my teachers that I wanted to go to medical school and I went to a very good school. Unfortunately, again, that was because my father pushed me and I didn't go to school in my local area. And uh, I still remember their reaction. They almost laughed. They were like, um, well, you want to go to med school? You know, you've got to be a straight A student. And I said, well, I wasn't a straight A student because I wasn't applying myself, but now I have something to work for. So I went to medical school. Um, I, I did what it took. I got the, I got the grades, and I got into medical school. And um, 
I think everyone else was surprised other than myself and my father. And I went to one of the best medical schools in the UK. And even at medical school, the same thing. Um, I, I, the truth is I didn't enjoy medical school at all. I, I, wow. I didn't enjoy it. And um, again, same thing. I was in the football team. You know, I was a member of the students' union. I was the guy throwing the house parties. I just wanted to be like, you know, fully involved in campus life. And I didn't really apply myself because I just didn't enjoy it. But then I met a plastic surgeon and he was sort of like me. He's, he was like, if ADHD existed when I was in school, I definitely would have been tagged with ADHD. And he was very similar to me. And he was, um, he was a plastic surgeon and he was a creative. He was a very stylish man and he was a very cool dude down to earth and he kind of took me under his wing. So I initially started out thinking I wanted to go into plastic surgery. Um, but then uh, I actually explored and decided, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I want to go to the best place in the world. So I applied for a rotation at Yale in um, the States all the way from like humble England and they gave me a place. So I went to Yale, I did some plastics and I worked with some of the best surgeons in the world. And I was like this wide boy from East London. And I felt slightly out of place. But um, that was where I got the inspiration. And that was the time I believed that I could actually do it. Uh, but to cut a long story short, I ended up enjoying orthopedic surgery, which is more about um, function. It's more about restoring people to the things they like to do. So, for example, getting people back to sports, getting people walking, working, uh living busy family lives rather than aesthetics which plastics was so I kind of jumped ship a little bit but yeah the rest is history as soon as I dedicated myself to it and I decided that's what I wanted to do yeah I just knuckled down and somehow became a, an orthopedic surgeon in London nice no that's very exciting and and, and you mentioned something you know you, you mentioned that it was you and your father that believed that you had that capability so so let's talk about even your your growing up and and you know being in a household with your parents, what was that like? How how did you know? How did your your upbringing influence your decisions uh, in order to get you on that path to, to becoming a surgeon? So, when I was growing up, as I said, I think um, in school I was misunderstood because I had so much energy, like I, I was just just literally overflowing with energy, and so I found myself in trouble a lot at school, um, and I think we just misunderstood. I think a lot of schools. They may be slightly better at it now, but definitely in the 90s when we were at school, they I don't think they really knew how to kind of um, interact and, and kind of um, engage with children who came from African households. Just, I think it was somewhat of an unknown. So they kind of disciplined us with a, probably a heavier hand. And a lot of the studies and statistics have shown that, you know, children, black children in particular um, have far higher rates of exclusion and discipline and I can definitely attest to that um, and so I almost they almost had me believing that I was actually trouble um, but my grades spoke for themselves so we used to have like national exams and, I'd, and I always ranked like within the top five percent which was somewhat of a surprise to me at the time because of how my teachers made me feel but it was my dad who told me look bro, look, bro you're my son yeah and you are intelligent, you are capable, you are a, a born leader. And actually, that positive affirmation was so powerful. My dad told me every single day that I was a leader and I was born the oldest of five children. And so I had a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. But every day to hear from your parents that you are capable. And actually, how I got into medical school, again, is an interesting story because, um, as I told you, my teachers had to predict my grades for my medical school application because obviously the grades weren't 
published it, so you right. had to apply with uh, predicted grades. And my physics teacher told me, oh, if you work hard, maybe you can get a B. And I told, I told the teacher, his name is Mr. Williams, thank you very much, sir. I told him, no, I want to go to medical school, therefore I'm going to get an A in my physics. And I really enjoyed physics. And he said, Obi, physics is difficult. If you work hard, you better to get a B. And I told him, I swore wow. blind. I said, look, sir, I'm going to get an A. And lo and behold, I sat, I think, three exams. And two of those exams, I got over 96%. Jesus. Yeah, and I remember remember he was flabbergasted. So I got my A and I got into medical school. But before I applied for medical school, I actually changed the application to chemistry because my teachers advised me. They said, look, you're not going to get into medical school. You're going to waste your application. You only get four applications. Don't waste it. Apply for chemistry. Do a chemistry degree. And then afterwards, you can look at med school. So then I changed it. And luckily, literally, I thank God for this moment. My dad asked me before I submitted the application how it was going. I told him I'd change it to chemistry. He was livid. He said to me, son, do you want to do chemistry or do you want to go to med school? And I said, well, I want to go to med school. He said, well, why are you zigzagging? Why don't you just do what is required and go to medical school? And so literally, I went back to school, had this new pep in my step. I changed my application back to, to uh, med school. I told Mr. Williams, again, look, I'm going to get an A. And, and then I did it. And I had to literally go against the advice of my teachers. Um, and, and the funny thing is, is ever since then, I've done quite a lot of talking back at the same school. Mm-hmm. And they always invite me back for like the careers fairs. And um, I've organized lots of work experience in hospital for the other kids who wanted to go to medical. But I think that for me, and I've talked about this a lot um, through my creative outlets, and that's about the power of belief in yourself. Because I think that I'm a walking example of that. Um, definitely times are changing but when I remember when I was looking forward and I decided you know I wanted to be a surgeon there weren't that many surgeons in the UK that looked like me that, right. I, that I had access to and it wasn't really social media either so I really just had to believe in myself even though you go into these rooms and you feel out of place right you just feel like most of these guys are old white guys um, and we have like virtually nothing in common um, but you know I somehow need to earn my seat at the table you just have to believe in yourself. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and, and this is really good because a lot of the times, you know, we, we don't even realize how important having, you know, really good advice from your parents or, or being um, surrounded by encouraging family, like the impact that that really has on setting you on the right path and, and, and having that positive reinforcement. And I think that's really, really good uh, in terms of what you had uh, in your upbringing. And, and let's, let's pivot a little bit to... You know, your creative side, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you are an orthopedic surgeon by day. Yeah. You are a vlogger uh, by by night or every other time. Yeah. Uh, you've got an amazing following on social media, you know, over 25,000 followers on all your social media channels. How do you make time to do that part in addition to the <laughs> complexities of literally save? You're literally saving people's lives. Yeah. And then you're also, you know, making other people's lives fun through creativity. Let's talk about that. I tell you, man, that is a very, very good question. And sometimes I don't even know myself. And the truth is, um, it's baby steps. Because people see what I put together, some of the videos that I create. Um, but it took a long time learning how to create. And I've always been a creative in school. I used, I loved art. I loved music. I was in the studio all the time. Um, and I've been making videos for like over 10 years now. I started on my first ever camera phone and editing with free software. And, and then as I got older and I had a little bit more money and I'd buy slightly better camera gear, I decided that actually I'm in a unique position. 
and I want to use my position to tell stories um, and tell my personal stories and share some of the challenges that I've been through and um, tell some of the stories of other people that I know who are also doing remarkable things. And so it's that motivation um, that keeps me going. And the way I find the time, I guess, is it's taken a long time to get good at it because finding balance is difficult. When when I was in medical, I was so committed to just passing my exams. And then when I became a junior doctor, I was so committed to just getting on track, becoming a very good surgeon. Um, but as I said, it's li- it's just little and often for me. It was like if I had a week off, you know, I didn't want to spend that week sat on the sofa watching Netflix. I'd spend that week, you know, you know, watching photography and videography lectures on YouTube. I'd pull out my camera, test myself, push myself, take on a project. And yeah, it just went from there. Well, that's good. And, and, and some interesting lessons we can learn from that. Just the, the power of focus and paying attention to, to what your craft is, whether it's your profession or your creative outlet. There, there has to be that level of, of, of dogged focus. Absolutely, man. I, like for me, anything I do, and I, I don't know where I, I got this philosophy from. Well, actually, I think I do, but anything I do, I want it to be excellent. Like, if I'm going to put out a video, it's going to be a representation of me and how much time and effort I've put into something. So like, if I'm going to put it out, I want it to be not necessarily the best video out there, but the best that I can possibly do. So I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to spend the time, learn how to do it properly. And I'm going to, but, but at the same time, you know, you have to enjoy it. So there's certain things I've always thought I might like, but I didn't enjoy it. So I'm not going to commit to it. Um, surgery, I absolutely love. And I didn't want, as I said before, I didn't want to be average. I think, I mean, we might as well just say it like it is, you know, and I was always told by my dad, look, son, you know, you're going to have to work twice as hard as everybody else. You're going to have to run twice as far and twice as fast. And so, you know, I've carried that through. So being an average surgeon for me just wasn't good enough. And again, if you look at the statistics, um, ethnic minority surgeons are struck off at a far higher rate. Um litigation and disciplinary action against black doctors is, is significant and I've witnessed it and I've seen it and the reason for that is obviously still being explored and slightly unknown but yeah I just didn't want to ever find myself having to explain myself or my lack of effort so yeah I just push myself with everything. Amazing and you know you're you're a Nigerian individual raised in the UK yeah. uh, you know Going through the motions in, you know, as a young black kid in, in, you know, in England, in London specifically. How did you find that, uh, both through high school and through university as well? What was that like for you? Man, I can tell you it wasn't cool. Like it's cool now to be Nigerian, right? Like we've got the Afro beach. You can go to school and eat your jollof rice. But for me, bro, when my mom used to come and I went to a boarding school for secondary school. And I never forget, like, my, I would go home and I'll come back with jollof rice and plantain and all that food that my mum would have packed for me. And people would be looking at you funny, like, what, what are you eating? I remember one time bringing back some plantains and, like, my my uh, roommates in, like, the boarding house, they threw it out because they thought it were bananas that had, like, gone off or oh, something. Oh, dear. And they're laughing. I'm like, bro, that's my, my plantain. And so it's almost, you're almost having to awkwardly make explanations for who you are and the things that you like. And, um... Unfortunately, in like nineties and early two thousands when we were growing up, it just it just wasn't cool. And uh, but fortunately for me, I, I had I came from a, a really strong family. Um, my parents are both very rich in culture, and they wanted that to, that come through in in us. So for me, I had a very fun life. You know what it's like? Never a dull moment. There's a party every weekend. 
you know, we like to dress, we like to travel, we're always back and forth from Nigeria or the States or now Canada, hopefully. And so I had a very fun upbringing. I cannot complain. And I'm, and I'm actually very happy to see Africa almost kind of slowly but surely assuming its, its position in the world um, and getting some, some positive recognition. So what would you what would you say is uh one of your I guess leadership philosophies? Like what what are the things that guide you from a leadership perspective that, that keep you you know pushing on in what you're doing? Man, that's a good question. Do you know um every time I feel like I may not be good enough or I feel like you know, this is a steep hurdle uh to to kind of cross, I remember particular people and when I say this person in particular people always look at me strange but Mike Tyson I remember growing up when I was in school and just watching some of his documentaries and watching some of his fights first of all I am a huge boxing fan but when I saw what this man was willing to put himself through to be the best and watching his documentary is terrifying just watching this man train and he he said the only thing he feared was losing and when you see somebody walk with that conviction, you have no choice but to believe in them. And you see the world believed in Mike Tyson. You know, he defeated most of his opponents before he even stepped in the ring. You could just see. And so I decided that I, I wanted to live my life with that philosophy, to to never be average, to push myself to be excellent and just never be kind of haphazard, always be intentional. So for the first thing I do, and I think hopefully it's started, people have started to take notice, is just to be excellent and I always talk about excellent because you let the quality of your work and the quality of your resolve speak for itself and you become a natural leader people naturally will gravitate towards you for your opinion and your guidance and your advice so first things first for me I think being a leader is about is about exuding excellence um, so that's probably my kind of first philosophy right. so with that in mind right how um or what was some of your what was one of your biggest obstacles or challenges and and how did you overcome that oh that's a good question my biggest obstacle um do you know probably my biggest obstacle is um so i got into surgery very young um and i was how old was i probably 25 when i you know when i became a surgeon and so most and, of, and that's because you know in the UK you can go straight into med school yeah. directly after finishing secondary exactly. school yeah. so I went to med school when I was like 18 and that was five years and then I did my few years as a junior doctor and then I got into like surgical training in London and I got into a prestigious training program which was um, guys in St. Thomas's King's College these are great like world renowned hospitals and so I I remember showing up and I definitely felt as though people were looking at me like I didn't necessarily belong there even though I had earned it and I, and I know that for sure because there were people who came before me who didn't manage to either complete it or didn't manage to get onto the program and um, so people just assumed that I didn't know what I was doing uh, or I was you know probably just out of place and it was small things I remember how I, I literally remember growing a beard I grew a beard because I wanted people to think I was older Wow. Yeah, imagine that, right? But you just go into work every day and you're second you're saying things and you feel that people are second guessing you. So I was like, right, I need to, I need to exude a little bit more maturity so I grow a beard. Uh and then exactly what I told you about being excellent, I thought, okay, if people are gonna question me, I'm gonna have to hit them with facts 
every single time. Right. So I studied and I read up and I knew about every single case and I just w- tried to be prepared. And at that time, um, we have obviously training surgeons spread out throughout London and we used to have to do like annual exams. And um, I was, this is, I was like the first year and obviously all my colleagues were older than me and more experienced. But I remember we did this annual exam and it's like a viva. So you, you go between tables for like two hours and like kind of esteemed older surgeons, they viva you and they ask you questions and they grill you to test your knowledge. And so I figured that this was going to be a great opportunity for me to prove myself. And I knew that other people weren't possibly going to take it seriously and perhaps maybe rely on their experience. But I, I studied really hard and um, got to the exam and I nailed it. And then the program director, when before the results came out, I'll never forget this, before the results came out, she took me aside one day and again, I thought, oh God, what have I done wrong now? She took me aside and she said to me, Obi, I just want to mention, I just want to say, say to you that you've upped your game. Yeah, you've, you've risen and it's been noted. Um, she said, the results are not out yet, but I want just to let you know that you ranked second. And I thought she meant second of the surgeons on my year because I was the first year, but there were six or seven years worth of training surgeons. And she said, no, you ranked second overall. Wow. I was like, wow. wow. Okay. So like my seniors, you mean I, I beat them? She's like, you ranked second overall. So, I just want to let you know that, you know, you've upped your game and it's been noted. And so from that point on, it was almost like I, I was like ushered into this like club. <laughs> yeah, where they, they recognize now that I, I I was capable. I knew I was capable, but I had to prove it to them. And um, as I said, just I always stress this to people, just be excellent. And it's so it's it's not easy to be the most talented or be the best player, but you can be the person who works the hardest and you can change it around. And people take note of that. When you, when you are prepared and you're organized and you study and you know your craft and you know your business, just, and you walk with conviction, people will naturally fall in line and, and just kind of follow you. And so for me, overcoming obstacles, the biggest obstacle was people's perceptions, I think. And, um, and still occasionally, have to do that and I had to do that when I came to Canada it was very frustrating for me to work for several years in the UK build up a reputation finally get to a place where people you know feel confident in you and then I left and I came to Canada and then it was exactly the same thing I remember coming back to my wife after two months and I told her babe we might have to pack our bags and go home she was like why and I said I just can't work like this because I'm, I'm twiddling my thumbs you know I'm barely getting given any responsibility, barely getting given any juicy cases, barely like even being, um, I know, I don't know, respected. But then, you know, it occurred to me, I was just basically going through the same thing that I went through in the UK. I just had to like, I had to earn my seat at the table. And honestly, like it was pivotal for me that that kind of, recognition and I did the same thing when I came here I had to work hard at, in the meetings you almost speak for the sake of being heard it's, it's terrible but you have to kind of play the game right right and again it was a huge cultural difference I got here and the bosses are talking about their lake houses I didn't even know what a lake house is they're talking about their boats and <laughs> I, and I'm like I've never even been on a boat I mean other than like when I'm on vacation or whatever but um but then you have to almost learn to speak their language but I just had to speak up and, and then I remember a point came when 
they would look for my opinion because my opinion would be maybe slightly different. So they would say, you know, some it would be a challenging case. And then, then I'd turn around and say, Obi, what would you guys do in the UK? All of a sudden I became the voice of the UK. <laughs> the voice of the UK. Yeah. And then, so I could then drop some, some studies or some facts or some figures and then they'd be, you know, they'd be intrigued and then all of a sudden you're welcomed, as I said, to the, to the table. And so, yeah, for me, it's about being excellent. 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 I, I think that's a, that's a great lesson out of this is to be focused, work hard and be excellent at what you do. And that's how you get to that leadership position. It's not like you're chief surgeon or at, at a hospital, you're just good enough, like so good that people recognize that and they value your opinion. And I think that's, that's what sets, you know, uh, people that are meant to be leaders or that are practicing leadership, that that's what really sets them apart. All right. Um, so, uh, thank you very much for, for, for that. You know, these, these are really, really, um, important things that, that we've discussed. Uh, and just before we wrap up, we're just going to go, uh, into, uh, what I call a, a rapid fire, uh, round. Uh-oh. Uh, so I'm just going <laughs> to shoot out some questions at you and you've got like, you know, a short amount of time to, okay. to just blurt out whatever comes into your mind. Okay. Oh, I apologize in advance. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, we're gonna do five one, five questions, okay? You want one word or yeah, you can be one word or two two words, whatever is in your mind okay. for that, okay? okay? All right. So your favorite movie? I'm gonna say Bad Boys Two because I recently watched that in prep for Bad Boys Three. Nice, very good, very good. Uh, how would you describe your teenage self in one word? I would I would call myself an explosion of energy. Uh, okay. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I was just a, a complete mess, an explosion of energy. Okay, good. Dark or milk chocolate? Oh man, I don't discriminate against chocolate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if I had to, I would probably go milk. Okay. Uh, what's a superpower that you wish you had? Oh man, I wish I could teleport. Yeah, that would be amazing. Why? Just so you could be instantly on vacation oh, anytime man. you want. Yeah. Click my fingers. I'm on the beach in Costa Rica. I click my fingers. I'm back in the OR. Just we have to teleport. Would be amazing. Awesome. All right. And the last one. At what age do you want to retire? Oh man. Okay. Well, there's well, my desire. I would love to be retired by 50. Okay. But that's retired from having to work. I'd still work in some capacity, whether it's teaching, talking. Helping develop services. Uh, I want to be involved in developing services in Africa. And when I say this, I'm not talking about doing relief work. I think it's time that we bring healthcare to the first world and bring it to the modern world. And so hopefully I can spend my 50s doing that. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Jude. I thank appreciate you, you being on thank you for having on me. Uh, the podcast today. And I hope that someone that's listening to this is really, really and truly inspired uh, by your story. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Made to Lead. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please share with others. Also take a moment to leave a review as well. This helps us improve and also gets us discovered by others. You can also support by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show and by visiting our website, madetolead.co. If you would like to be featured or know an amazing person of African descent whose story would be inspirational to others, 
I'd love to hear from you. Visit our website at madetolead.co slash getfeatured and send us a note. As you continue on your own leadership journey, remember that if you don't spread your wings, you'll never know how high or how far you can fly. So stretch your feathers because you were made to lead.